Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The film is called Planet of the Humans. It takes a harsh look at the environmental movement and how the environmental has lost the battle through well-meaning but disastrous choices, including the belief that solar panels and windmills would save us, and by handing it over to corporate interest of Wall Street. The film debuted just a couple of days ago on Earth Day, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, and the film is available to uh, for, for you to watch, and we'll get into how you can watch the film, but first I want to introduce the director. It's a terrific documentary, remarkable, and it also is unafraid to go into areas of the of our perception of the environmental movement in ways that um, I think absolutely needed to be done so I'm thrilled with it on that level on so many other levels and again the director is uh, joining us today and that's Jeff Gibbs Jeff welcome to film school radio well thanks Mike and thanks for what you do it's so important that we learn from each other in the film world and especially in the documentary world which can be a very uh uh, you know, we're all out here doing our own thing, so it's great to talk to um, people who really care about film and documentaries. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, this is a film that, as I was alluding to in our introduction, uh, that is, it's absolutely critical, and it's it's mentioned in the film, that awareness is always, always the first step in, in make, making changes that are substantive and are, are going to last. And awareness of the environment is one part of it, but awareness of how the movement has moved forward over the last 60, 70 years uh, is also critically important. And thank you for the approach you took in this film. So I'll let you describe sort of how you started this process of making this documentary. And then also you bringing in people like Rachel Carson and... Frank Capra, and how we sort of for have known for so long what's happening. But please, uh, feel free to, to talk about how you got started. Sure. Well, I think in many ways I've been an environmentalist or an environmental-leaning person my whole life. In fact, when I was younger, I was part of the Earth Day generation, was caught up in, uh, you know, trying to find a better way to live. You know, I, I really I bought some land, as you see in the film, and built a log house and— uh, you know, the conflict was there that I had to get a chainsaw, you know, to clear the land and build my log house. But I, you know, didn't really process that through. So I did all the usual things of trying to grow my own food and, uh, you know, not use fossil fuels and, uh, you know, drive a small car, all that kind of thing. But as life went on and uh, I think the 90s and the early 2000s hit and I got the chance to work for Michael Moore, uh, my friend who I knew from Flint. I grew up actually in the neighborhood that you see in Bowling for Columbine uh, where the little girl was shot. And so when Michael was working on it, I said, do you mind if I tag along? And instead, instead of tagging along, he asked me to help out for the day. I, find, I found Gun Boy and Bomb Boy, uh, <laughs> two of the characters in the Bowling for Columbine, within the first few hours of helping them out. So they said, stick around, maybe. So I quit my job and started helping Michael, fell into that, and then that went okay. So they said, well, why don't you come back and work on Fahrenheit 9-11? So suddenly I have an apartment in New York instead of in the north woods of Michigan with the bear and the deer, um, working on Fahrenheit 9-11. As depressing as it could be, and, and, and stressful to work on that film, and also, you know, a privilege to work on a movie, of course. And Bowling for Columbine, you know, the, I, I think I cried the first 20 times, you know, we ran through it in the final edit, you know, to catch everything. 
because that was my neighborhood. This was my life in Flint. I was always really deeply bothered by the fact that things are just getting worse and worse environmentally. And we were all acting like everything's normal. And I began to see this green scene in New York. I don't know where you're located, but, you know, where people you know, were recycling, we're having these green events, green fashion models, green sustainable businesses. And I'm like, wow, uh, you can carbon offset your flights. You know, that's, the, uh, I'm like, what is this carbon offset stuff? What is this green movement? And I slowly began to ask questions, you know, about the movement itself, because just something, even though these were my friends, something just seemed not quite right. Like that wasn't going to save us. Um, maybe it wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't going to save us. Um, so I thought, well, I'll make my own film, make my own way. And as I noticed things where I live in northern Michigan, the trees were dying. We had an invasive species called zebra mussels come into our beach. They're little razor sharp shells that cut your feet. You actually had to wear water shoes for a few years. Even back then, I noticed the bees dying. Uh, I thought, well, if I travel the country and just document things in our own backyards that are snapping, maybe that'll wake us up. But I also, at the same time, started co was covering the green movement and filming things and trying to figure out what is my relationship with these solutions. And the first day, I stumbled into a, a solar festival uh, in Vermont, where, frankly, I went after filming some dire environmental things um, to have a good time. And I happened to, and my cameraman noticed a, a generator and some wires and commotion behind the stage when the solar festival was supposed to be power, powered by solar. And then we found out even the generators weren't enough. They were hooked up to the grid. I was like, this is, this is very interesting. I mean, maybe it's, maybe I should keep diving into this. And so that's really the through line of the film is, you know, I just keep looking kind of deeper and deeper at, uh, and ask the next question and the next question wherever I went. I think this line dropped out of the film, but I used to have a line of narration. Every single time I asked a single question, it seemed like the story that green energy was real and going to save us uh, fell apart. And I discovered, as as you see in the film also, that it just it got worse and worse. Things that you could never believe were part of green energy and are even now subsidized as green energy, like burning animals alligators for fuel yeah nobody would even believe that's possible but it just gets labeled you know waste from a from a certain plant that's basically how i got involved it's this took a while you know to unspool the story because i had to work through my own um illusions about who i was thinking i was this you know, green person because i moved to the woods and love nature but you know i'm still a human being and i have a tremendous impact on on the environment and uh, I'll speak for myself, and you're describing me. Your answer is mm -hmm. describing exactly what I think I've been trying to accomplish in, in my life, and doing what I think are all the right things. But one question has always nagged me, which is scale, right? This is really a lot of what you're describing here in the film is, while we as individuals can do something, there has to be some unifying um, thread a social thread, whether it's in, in government or it's in business, that is able to scale up to the level where it actually does matter. This idea of, and this is one of the the um, the things about American culture, the American ethos, is that the rugged individualism, right? And that I think in some ways has led me to believe that I have, my actions have 
a greater impact than they actually do in the same way that people who believe that they can, everyone can be a billionaire in America, that same rugged individualism, right. kind of that philosophy of it is an illusion. And as your film shows in this film, in, in Planet of the Humans, is we're fooling ourselves and into believing something that's not true. Right. I, I guess I would parse that uh, like this, that there's been a trend in the environmental movement recently to say that individual responsibility doesn't matter. It's too late for that. or mm-hmm. um, And that we have to do things on this much bigger scale. And, and therefore, we can blame these fossil fuel companies and, you know, if, uh, we got to get them to change and, and the banks and the, the corporations. You're never going to win the battle against slavery by people who own slaves. You know, you... you yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. You yeah, know, people who are, are addicts are probably not going to start, you know, the movement, the recovery movement while they're currently addicts. And no, we can't give up our thing, you know, the, the um, all the stuff that, that we need to survive. But I think we do have a responsibility to do the best we can. You know, instead of building a cabin in the woods, you know, I'm a better human being for using an already built residence or sharing a residence. And, and we need to begin to think differently about development. Um, right. You know where I live. We don't need to have all this development. I I didn't fly a single time. I haven't flown in 15 years. I'm not saying I never will, but I just decided I'm just going to change. And I and I, you know, we were flying all the time to make these films. I, I remember flying to to LA for a meeting. Right? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, but I just said, you know, even at the cost to my own career, uh, I was invited to speak at some some important events in LA and San Francisco. And I just said. I can't drive across the country right now, and there's no. I'm six five. I won't survive a train ride, <laughs> so I didn't go. And I've become happier living locally, I, and and uh, I really think it settled me down. But the other thing is, you're absolutely correct. Individual personal responsibility is not enough at all, and that's what you see in the movie. The reason me moving to the woods is so harmful is that's just part of the story of humans, and I was discounting my role in that. But it's the mass effect of millions and billions of us doing things. Right. You know, these little K-cups that we get for our coffee that didn't even exist 10 years ago, right? And now, now there's billions of them every week. And yet we don't. We think our little K-cup doesn't make a difference. So, But I'm with you. The movie is, it was made to help us understand we've got to redesign. We have to rethink who we are as humans and this entire civilization and... What we're going through right now with the pandemic, even though we all wish it didn't happen, is an example of what we thought we could never do, which is stop, stop most of our activities. And we did it in a, in a week, really, in yeah. a day. Yeah. You know, the day dawned on you and me, if you remember the day when you just realized you got to stay put. Yeah. The thing I said to you just a minute ago was, I guess part of the arc of my understanding of this issue of how we're going to essentially uh, be able to sustain life on the planet. Just what you, just what you said, and, and it has been bothering me, as, as you described it too, and this is why, again, it's such a relatable film for me, is these things are not working. And the, I keep coming to something that's in the film in, in my own uh, sort of contemplating of this issue, and that is there are just so many people on the planet. And now we have introduced over the last 15 to 20 years the idea that everyone can live like people in the West live with all of the creature comforts and the amenities and the technologies of the West. And that has made all of this such an incredibly crushing 
problem now moving forward. The expectation of two or three billion people who 15 or 20 years ago, that was not an option. And I'm not saying in any way that they should be deprived of a quality of life in any way, but it, we're now faced with this expectation and now meeting those, those, those uh, expectations is in and of itself going to push us over the cliff, but without even the expansion of population of the world. There are so many issues that are in, interwoven into planet of the humans, but I, and I'm kind of hopscotching around here a little bit, but it. Do I respond to what you just said about yes, population? Yes, absolutely, and absolutely. I think one of the, um, I didn't want to overemphasize um, population and consumption in the film. I wanted to emphasize the part of the story that's been captured by capitalism and yeah. and and uh, those forces, but it is kind of the driving force uh, of this. My realization of just how far out of balance we are. Um, but just to be clear, you know, our population is ten times what it was before we got addicted to fossil fuels. But what really kicks that out of the park is our consumption, because that's on top of the population. So the two combined together are like a wonder hundred times larger footprint than in 1800 or 1820 when we got addicted to fossil fuels. And that blew my mind. And so that's where I believe we have to be aware that this population is unsustainable. But job one is to figure out how to reduce our 10 times, even up to 50 times level of income and consumption in the West compared to people who have nothing, how to share with them and you know give them things like family planning and healthcare yeah. and a basic uh, life that, that's good, education, um, and so that's why it's, I almost consider it, uneth I, it is unethical to me to talk about population, uh, without talking about consumption, because yeah. Yeah. that's the magnifier where our 300 million in America are really like 30 billion compared to many parts of the world. Yeah. Remind our listeners that we're speaking with Jeff Gibbs. He's the director and producer and editor, I believe, of the film Planet of the Humans. What else did, did I leave any of your hats out of that equation? Uh, cameraman, uh, you know, PA, <laughs> assistant editor, um, okay. did about 10 of the pieces of music, six to 10. I, I've lost track. Um, yes, that's right. I was going to mention your, your, your contribution on the music to the, to the film. And you've done that. That's been part of your, your resume and your past film work with Michael Moore and other people. So I really, truly want people to, to see the film for, for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the things that that I was struck by is uh, the honesty in the film and the fact that we see in the film people who we have celebrated as champions of the environment, and that isn't the whole story. I'm not saying that these people are not in their own way concerned about the fate of the earth and an environmental movement, but greenwashing, corporate sort of... Uh, um, They've been compromised. I, I, I guess. It, well, how right. would you describe it? I, I, I won't even try to describe it. There, there are some iconic figures in the film that you, you ask, ask some very hard questions of. How would you describe how you see the, the higher-profile environmental leadership in the, in the movement? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, um, as you see in the film, that Al Gore, when he made *Inconvenient Truth*, which is a movie that. You know, really broke it open around climate change, but he was poised to profit from a green investment fund, a sustainable investment fund he set up with David Blood, formerly of Goldman Sachs. You, well, you might go, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is 
one of my frustrations is is that we become singularly focused on climate change when there's so many things going wrong and climate change is dire but when you actually when i began to research what's killing off most of the animals of the world it's logging hunting poaching you know the, the oceans are die are being direly affected by climate change but 90% of the fish are gone because we ate them so that part of the story of the expanding human presence consuming the entire planet dropped away after that film and the climate change part has been teased up to be the whole thing what does that mean it drives everything towards sustainability towards green energy towards the illusion of carbon offsets and sustainable green growth exactly what the man from goldman sachs and al gore his partner profit from one of the things that's not in the film is that Al Gore, his family actually had a close relationship. His dad, Al Gore Sr., actually one of his best funders and supporters was Occidental Petroleum. So Al Gore's family foundational story has to do with Occidental Petroleum. And then as you see in the film, unbelievably, I was like, no, no, no. He sold his TV network to a country that's nothing but a, an oil producer. I don't know how he rationalizes all this, but... I actually believe people like Bill McKibben, people in the Sierra Club, people in other organizations, I don't believe they're on the take, but they've made this bargain with the devil in the name of capitalism to promote what they think is saving the planet. So I think they've convinced themselves somehow that that was the way to go. And then they further convinced themselves that taking a check from Michael Bloomberg, from his foundation, which he calls an investment, puts them at arm's length from the capitalistic nature of this. And it doesn't because who's on the boards of these foundations? Well, Michael Bloomberg, for one, but the types of industry bankers, even the Rockefellers Brothers Fund and other uh, foundations that seem to be green, they all started out with oil money. And so if I rob a bank, if I rob my neighbor and then take the money and put it into a restaurant, is it now green, clean money? It's, but even bigger are the people from the Rockefeller family, even three generations later, are they really going to fund a movement that ends growth and capitalism? Uh, they're not on the take, and I want to just be clear about that because um, I th you know, somebody said, oh, Bill McKibben never accepted money from corporations or 350. Of course not. I don't believe that in, in a minute. And, and Bill McKibben is still a hero to me for all the work he's done around climate change and helping us understand that the planet is being permanently altered by humans. But so, yeah, that, that's uh, and the extent to which the two have merged, in a sense, is to me very mind blowing. You know, when I was when we were younger, being an environmentalist didn't mean making, you know, a number of dollars and being able to live in San Francisco. It meant and this is true of most activism. It, it meant sacrifice. And you brought up Rachel Carson. You know, Rachel Carson wrote a book that changed the world. She had cancer. She died from cancer when she was trying to wake up the world about toxins. I mean, she worked on that story from the 40s until she published. And uh, I think it was it was at 1962. You know, there are people dying around the world to save the last animals. You know, they're they're prevent poaching. There are people dying to to stop the logging of the rainforest. You know, I think we've lost touch with what it actually means to be an activist. You know, I religiously recycle still, you know, but I had to come to accept that doesn't make me anything except have less trash to throw out. I worked uh, for a little while for the... Uh... L.A. County Department of Public Works, and we have recycling programs, and I got a, a little bit of a look behind the curtain in terms of those those pro programs. And with all the best of intentions, there are so uh, fatally flawed in terms of, I mean, I don't want to discourage people from recycling, but there there's just 
so so many times, and it's in the film as well, it's in Planet of the Humans, is where we go down these roads, we're told that this is going to be something that will have an impact on our footprint on, on the planet. And then as you peel back the layers of the actual logistics behind these different things, and they're not what we, we they were not, they're not, they're not that really, truly, they're not doing what we, we were told they would do. And it becomes frustrating, it angers me, it puts me in a place where I don't know what else can I do, what else am I supposed to do. Again, awareness, like I said at the beginning of our interview, awareness is the first step in making the changes that we need to make. And this film does such an effective job of giving us the truth, giving us a truth that I think will, will help us move forward. What you just said about recycling, it's, it's so important to me. I, that's why I continue, even though I know the system is flawed, because it's a good habit to have. But yeah. the um, what we moved away from in the 50 years since Earth Day, it used to be three R's and their little recycling triangle symbol. Um, it, it was reduce, reuse, and only then recycle. And so the, that's kind of symbolic of the entire environmental movement. We got away from the reduce part and the reuse part. And now what's left is this system of recycling, which still uses a lot of energy and is, won't be perfect until we commit ourselves um, to a completely different civilization. Because a lot of the things, as you probably discovered, that you try to recycle can actually be recycled very easily. Right. And then our, and I can tell you within the state of California, there was an economic model bringing in your bottles for redemption. There, all that, that sort of has collapsed. China stopped taking our recycle, recyclable stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So there, so all of a sudden this stuff is building up, and there are other places that are they're dumping it in Vietnam or in some other Southeast Asian country. It, it, it's it's just be it it's again it comes back, and it, I'm going to bring it up. We haven't really said it out loud. It comes back to capitalism. It comes back to this idea: as long as we measure wealth on the basis of consumption, we're never going to get out of this. As long as that is our measure of success. If wealth is measured by by consumption or by an accumulation of assets in a way that we're doing it now, we're not going to get out of this. And I think that's exactly right, yeah. So, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, you know, as somebody who um, is a filmmaker and a student of filmmaking yourself, um, what, you know, what did you notice? You know, one of the things I was nervous about is um, – you know, we basically used handheld cameras, you know, small cameras, DSLRs, um, uh, HDV cameras, you know, if you remember those, the first HD. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was often, now there's good stabilization. There was no stabilization. It was often just me or two of us, um, you know, filming things. Um, so I was just was curious how, you know, how do you think that affected the film? We, I probably used 10 different small cameras, you know, making this because the technology <laughs> changed over the last few years. Yeah. But no red cameras, no, you know, steady cams. Do you mean in terms of sort of the, the aesthetic of the picture? Yeah. I, no, I didn't yeah. feel that way at all because for me, going into a, viewing a documentary film, I'm always aware that the film needs to be taken on its own terms. It doesn't need to be judged as if it was a narrative with lockdown cameras and blocking and all the rest of it. It is what it is. It is there to basically bring to you an issue 
or a point of view and and the ability of it to tell that point of view and is for me always the primary thing and you got great people in the film to talk about this and again i i think over the years i've been as as i've been watching films about the environmental movement um one that comes to mind that this reminds me of is cowspiracy i don't know if you've ever seen cowspiracy mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of that film uh because in that film they go after these groups like the sierra club and, and ask them tough questions about just exactly what impact is meat having on our on our environment and everyone pretends it's not happening and I, i'm kind of getting away from your basic question here no that's it, you make a good point it, though it, it's laying it out in in a way that is in your the the people you have in the film and the way that you film them i think lends it, it credibility this is not this is not a, a greenwashing infomercial. This is something about people who are on the ground who actually have studied this and understand the ramifications of it and are well there they say what they say hits hard. So uh, aesthetics aside, I think it did a great job. I think this is a really solid documentary on a lot of levels. So, um, well, thank you. I thought maybe that the small camera. You know, one of the things I realized when using a small camera, and we often used a a mic on the camera, which is the one thing you're not supposed to do. Get external audio. But I realized that the way you could overcome that was to be as close to the subject as was comfortable to get good audio. Yeah. And so, with a small camera, me being able to be personally close, yeah. um, and have the camera right right here next to me. I think helped uh, with that. Of course, now we have to socially distance a little more. Um, oh. But I, I felt something that was kind of a gift that people really opened up and and I think yeah. often said things that they don't usually say. You know, you've seen some of these people in other documentaries and they don't say the kinds of things that they, they were willing to say to me. So that was a real gift. There's one subject in the film. He's the one who talked about Camus, the one about uh, the the... Uh, us coming to grips with our mortality that you were, you were discussing with him that the right and the left how we view Sheldon Solomon for me that really cut to the to the core his his your conversation with him I for me that aesthetically and philosophically is really what we're facing and then the quote at the end of the movie I just I just there's so many things that just really hit hard about for me Rachel there's a Rachel Carson quote at the end of the film yeah. I just think that's yeah. absolutely that you could not say it more succinctly and better than what she said. It is about us. It is about our maturity. It is about us being able to understand our limitations, the limitations of the world we live in. And if we can't do that, we're not going to get around all of this. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I actually only found that quote at the very end of the process of uh, making the film, it's, which was interesting, even for me, to really realize how some people that came before us even before the earth day generation got a lot of things right and we just didn't listen uh, we have to have young people you know take the, the reins um, but we also have to keep listening to the generations that have had truths that we've lost um, sheldon was amazing because it's a part of the film that we debated having in there because it's kind of the only sit down interview in the film that just kind of you sit there with this this interview in the wild instead of intercutting a bunch of different people yeah, how do you get existential philosophy into an environmental film uh, <laughs> and make it so people don't just press stop right there? 
right. uh, you know, interesting question. Well, it's the idea. It is the idea that every human faces at some point in their life, and that is mortality. What are our? What do we think is going to happen to us? As you know, our what will our end be like? We we don't face these things, and so he's Camus is is quoted in this as mm-hmm. as an individual coming to grips with that, and then from there all it was the quote. It's, I will butcher the quote, but about liberty essentially extending yeah, go ahead yeah it's it's just once we accept our own mortality then then anything is possible is, is a paraphrase and yeah. um i think the whole point is if if it's difficult to accept our own personal mortality no wonder we cling to illusions when it comes to the potential mortality of our civilization our species and perhaps even most life on earth it is the illusion of eternal life Religions are based on this idea of eternal life. We're told that the, somehow, some way, we will carry on no matter what, and our our commercial culture tells us that we're going to be young and live forever, and that is so counter to the reality of the world, even more so today than it's maybe ever been. And for me, if if you ask me what to distill this film down to its core, it's coming to grips with that. And if you can do that, as you just said. We could we could achieve so much more. We could achieve so yeah, much more. Thanks, Mike, we're we're on the. I know it's frustrating not having more specific things, and I have my own list of five hundred things we can do. But I really wanted to make this for us to sit with us because to change the story from the story technology is going to save us, and the only problem yeah. before us is climate change. To yeah. no, we're going to save us, and the problem is us. Is takes a bit of a. It's a process to turn that around. Yeah. So thanks for help. For, for being part of that uh, yeah. journey. It was uh, screened on YouTube a couple of days ago for Earth Day. Uh, how can people see uh, Planet of the Humans? It's posted on Michael Moore's YouTube channel. I think it's MM Plant, but just if you do a search for Planet of the Humans on YouTube, it's going to be free for 30 days starting from a few days ago, and then we'll decide what to do. We haven't actually decided what to do from there. You can also go to planetofthehumans.com, and the movie's front and center right there. And you can just click on it and, and watch it. Well, Godspeed, Jeff Gibbs. <laughs> that's uh, pretty unbelievable. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's fantastic. Please check this out, Planet of the Humans. And as you mentioned, the website, planetofthehumansmovie.com. Do I have that correct? Just planetofthehumans.com. Planetofthehumans.com. Well, Jeff Gibbs, thank you. And I really appreciate uh, your time today. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Th- thank you, Jeff. Take, Take care. care, man. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.